Good morning. This morning we're going to uh, finish our look at uh, our Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. Next week I want to preach from Psalm 59. I'm going to give you an assignment. Okay? It will benefit you if you'll do this. Um, in your devotional times this week or whenever you take time to set aside time to read the scripture, I'd ask you to read maybe more than once, two or three times, to read Psalms 51 through 60 because Psalm 59 is in the context of Psalms 51 through 60. So consider doing that. I'll be checking on you, okay? You laugh. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. During a uh, Covenant College board meeting, by the way, I have on my Covenant College tie this morning, if you don't know what this is, uh, and my Covenant College pen. Yes, I'm a graduate of Covenant College. I'm also a trustee of Covenant College, which means... I'm the boss of several people in this congregation. (laughs) So during a Covenant College board meeting in March 2011, I left the meeting to take a call from my cardiologist. Four months earlier, I had had open heart surgery, and now he was calling to tell me that Some tests I had taken two days before um, told him that one of the four bypasses had failed and more surgery was immediately necessary. So when I returned to the meeting, I guess I, I looked concerned because the chairman, knowing my health issues, interrupted the meeting to ask if everything was okay. And so I freely shared this information with these, my brothers, my brothers and sisters, my fellow trustees. I shared with them the news, and they immediately gathered around to lay on hands and to pray. Several of them prayed, but I'll never forget the prayer of Randy Neighbors, a good friend of mine and former senior pastor of New City Fellowship. This was Randy's prayer. Father, if you want him, take him. (laughs) But not yet. But not yet. Well, a little stunned, and then grateful for how the prayer ended. I, I sincerely appreciate Randy's prayer. But I have to tell you, I am simply overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmingly awed to hear 
Jesus pray in John 17. And that is particularly true this morning because we come to John 17, verses 20 through 26. And in these verses, Jesus prays for me. Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays aloud for you. Two weeks ago, Jesus prayed in verses 1 through 5 for God the Father to display the glory of the Father and the Son in the hour that was approaching the hour of Jesus' horrible death. And last week, you, you heard Jesus pray in verses 6 through 19 for his disciples. And now this morning, in verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays for all of you who by grace through faith believe the good news proclaimed by his apostles and prophets throughout the Holy Scriptures. So listen as Jesus prays, John 17, verse 20. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these, for the 11. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory the glory you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Wow. Jesus begins by asking the Father that you, his people, may be one just, that you may be one just as he and the Father are one. Now think about that. Think about all of the insignificant tensions that may exist between some of you. Jesus' prayer is that you might be one even as he and the Father are one. Now, by God's grace, I know what it means to be one with someone. Linda and I, as husband and wife, we are one in ways that supersede all other human relationships. In fact, Ephesians 5 verse 32 teaches that our marriage as well as 
your marriages, that our marriages are to picture our oneness with Christ. Furthermore, Scripture describes you, the church, you his people. He describes you as his chosen bride. Jesus chooses to have an intimate relationship with you. He chooses to love you and to show you the full extent of his love by laying down his life on your behalf, just as men, he commands husbands to lay down their lives on behalf of their wives. Now, loving you, God the Holy Spirit blesses you with the saving knowledge that by dying for you, Jesus satisfies the Father's perfect justice that decrees that the penalty for your sin is death. So for you, for you, Jesus willingly chooses to die. And by his death, the Father's just penalty for sin is paid And you are free from the fear of being condemned for your sins. Jesus dies for you. God is therefore at peace with you. And therefore, knowing that God is at peace with you, you can live at peace with him. And by his grace, by the gift of his faith, You respond. If you have embraced him as Savior and Lord, you respond with an obedient faith as you wholeheartedly commit yourself by his enabling power to live a life pleasing to him who first loved you. I loved Linda long before she loved me. It took her some time. Eventually, she decided that, yeah, I love him. And over the past 51 years, my love for her has grown even stronger. And likewise, your love for the Lord grows stronger with the passing of years, the maturing of your love and radical commitment to him is is what scripture calls the process of sanctification. And just stay with me a minute. By faith in Jesus, you are once and for all time justified. Once and for all time, you were declared innocent, sinless. You are declared once and for all time, by grace through faith, you are declared holy in the sight of God. I am holy in the sight of God. I know my sins. But I am holy in the sight of God. Not because of who I am or what I have done but because of who Jesus is and what he has done. 
And having been justified, you are now by God's grace being sanctified. By his grace, you are maturing in your love and faithful service to him. Justification is a once and for all time act of God. Sanctification is a work of God, which our shorter catechism defines as meaning that you are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and you are enabled, not you might be enabled, not you could be enabled, but that you are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. Believer, that's who you are. If by grace through faith you have genuinely embraced Jesus as your Savior, your Lord, and your King. I, I first loved Linda when I was 19. But over the years, I've learned to love and serve her better than I did when we were first married. And likewise, your love and commitment to please your Lord in all you do and say deepens and matures with every passing season of life. And Jesus says, as he prays, he says that you're being one with him, your loving commitment to him, which you, many of you would profess is true. Your love for him, your loving commitment to him. Jesus says that will be shown by you loving your fellow believers. By you loving them. Listen. By you loving them as Jesus loves you. Loved by him, loving him, you strive to love and serve one another. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.8 that loving one another, being of one mind and heart in your love for the Lord, Peter says it's seen, this is how it's seen, it's seen by your being sympathetic toward one another, tender toward one another, humbly serving one another. It is by such love, listen, Jesus says, as he prays, that it is by such love the world will know that you are his. Now look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus tells the Father that he gives to you, he gives to you the glory the Father gave him during his earthly ministry. He gives to you the glory that is his. Believer, you are to blaze with his glory, as God the Holy Spirit empowers you to live lives that show his glory to others through your words and through your deeds and through your attitudes. And meditate upon that. Just meditate upon that. 
Jesus intends your life, Jesus intends your life to be for others a glimpse of God's glory. Your life for others, a glimpse of God's glory. By God's enabling grace, your words, deeds, and attitudes reveal Jesus to others, show to others who God is. We call ourselves Christians. To be a Christian is literally to be a little Christ. In fact, seeing you, knowing you, that may be for some the only picture they have of who Jesus is. So what do people see? What do people see of Jesus when they watch how you live? Now, note, look at verse 23. Note that Jesus, these are the words that Jesus uses. He prays, that you might become perfectly one. That you might become perfectly one. Those words suggest, to me at least, that being one in heart and mind, being one in heart and mind with our Lord and with one another is a goal toward which you must be constantly striving. Because clearly... This, I don't know of any congregation, not just you perhaps, but I don't know of any congregation that's perfectly one. But this is the goal after which you are to constantly strive. And it is a goal that demands your most strenuous efforts. And it is a goal for which God will strengthen you and empower you to reach. In my younger years, quite a number of decades ago, in my younger years, I worked diligently at being a shortstop. You're looking at Covenant College's former shortstop. How impressed are you by that? Well, I wanted to be a shortstop. I worked diligently at being short. I'd find someone willing to hit me ground ball after ground ball. It was important to me. And learning to field ground balls isn't easy. Sometimes they take bad hops. Sometimes you muff the play. Well, likewise, because of besetting sin, Oneness is not a goal easily achieved. Sometimes there are bad hops in relationships. Sometimes you muff the play. But oneness is a goal. You must constantly strive to achieve as you look to the Lord for the strength and the ability to live with one another as he would have you to live. Now note that Jesus also prays in verse 23. He prays about you being one with him and with the Father and with one another 
He says he makes that prayer so the world will know. Look at what he says. So the world will know the Father loves you. Look at the rest of this. That the Father loves you even as he loves the Son. You feel loved? How often do we not feel loved? How often do we need to return to God's word and remember? God loves you even as he loves the Son. I often wonder why Linda loves me, and those who know Linda and myself often wonder the same thing. But now I'm being told that the Father loves me even as he loves Jesus. Well, how can that be? We'll try to answer that question in just a moment. But first, listen, as in verse 24, Jesus asks the Father, that you might be with him in the world to come. Now, earlier that evening, some of you will remember that in John 14, Jesus promises his disciples that he's leaving them to prepare a place for them so that they might be with him always. It's a wonderful promise, but just remember the context here. Just stop and think for a moment. Remember who it is to whom Jesus is making that promise. He's making that promise to those that he knows will soon desert him. So be encouraged as you struggle with life in this world. Be encouraged, be humbled, be challenged. Despite all your errors, Despite all your muffed plays, Jesus desires you to be with him and is even now preparing a place for you so that you might see his glory. In this world, we see so dimly. But Jesus asks the Father that one day we might see him face to face, see him as he is, see him in all his glory. Who of us can possibly begin to comprehend all that that will mean? Look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus tells the Father that though the world doesn't know him, he knows the Father, and his disciples know that he has come from the Father. Now I want you to notice, when Jesus speaks to the Father, he addresses him as righteous Father. And don't pass by that. Righteous Father. The Father is righteous, which obviously means all that he does, all that he decrees is always right. But furthermore, you got to take that one step further. It also means that he is the one whose very being defines what is righteous. His very being defines What is right and wrong? The world has its own ideas about right and wrong. But it is the Lord, the righteous one, who both defines and teaches you what is truly right and wrong. 
Now think about what that means for Jesus. Jesus knows that whatever the Father decrees is right. And Jesus knows that the Father righteously decrees that the penalty for sin be paid. And therefore he, Jesus, must die to pay the penalty for your sins. Therefore, Jesus humbles himself, he becomes a man, and then having no sin of his own, takes your sin upon himself, pays the penalty for your transgressions, and by his death, he procures for you peace with the Father and the gift of eternal life. Why? Because he loves you. Because you are loved by him. Now note, believer, Jesus prays that though the world doesn't know Jesus, Jesus prays that you do. You know who he is and why the Father sent him into the world. You know all this because God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of glory, has given you eyes to see and hearts to believe and a will to obey. But at the same time, we all know, you know, how much you still have to learn. So look again at verse 26. And rejoice to hear Jesus assure the Father that he will continue to make known to you the Father's name. And as we've talked about, knowing someone's name in Scripture means knowing much about them. And You know a great deal about God. You know he's just. You know he's gracious. You know he's merciful. You know he's loving. But we still have so much more to learn. So here Jesus assure you that with every passing year, he will continue to increase your understanding of who he is and of the profound depths of his love for you. I don't say this to boast. I say this because it's true. You know, I'm a minister of the gospel, which means by God's grace over the years, I've been paid to read through this book continuously. I have no, any, I have no idea how many times I've read all of scripture. But Jesus prays that he will continue to increase your understanding. And I'm going to tell you, every time I read the scripture, no matter how familiar the passage, I find myself going, oh, wow, look at that. I don't think I ever saw that before. Imagine what it's going to be like in glory when Jesus, as he did with the two on the road to Emmaus, takes us aside and says, Let me walk you through the Old Testament. Let me show you how all of this prepared for my coming. Now, I'm not going to miss that lesson. I'll be there. And if you're not there, I'll go looking for you. Again, you laugh. Okay. Believer, God loves you. Clearly, it's not because you're worthy of his love. It's not because of what you've done or can do. 
The Father loves you because he loves you because he loves you. The Father loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Will, did you ever hear that before? Yeah, okay, a few times, okay. The reason the Father loves you is because of Jesus. He willingly chose to die for you. He conquered the grave so that you will never die. Your physical existence in this world may one day cease, but when it does, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Until that day, Jesus promises he'll never stop loving you in this world. He'll never let you go. By grace through faith, you've embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord. You're one with him. By his grace, you're a new creation. Instead of being hopelessly dead in your trespasses and sin, you're alive. You're alive in him. You're one with him and through him, one with the Father, the Father who loves you even as he loves Jesus. Now, I said as I began, I appreciated Randy's prayer eventually. But I'm overwhelmed by Jesus' praying for me as he approaches his hour of humiliation. I'm awed to know that the scripture teaches that Jesus not only prays for me here in John 17, but in fact, the scripture teaches in the book of Hebrews that he forever lives, forever lives to make intercession for you. Do I want you to pray for me? I long for you to pray for me. I promise as I get to know some of you, I'll attempt to pray for you. But we all know how that goes. You know, I've long since stopped telling somebody, I'll pray for you. Now I tell people, I'll try to remember to pray for you. But scripture says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you. I pray you know that to be true. I pray you're overwhelmingly awed to know that you're loved by the triune God. That you're overwhelmingly awed to hear Jesus pray for you. And if that be true, that I want you to join with those with whom you are striving to be one by singing together right after I pray, by singing together as one people, as his people, singing together, what wondrous love is this. Let's pray. Father, these are truths that are just about more than we can fully take in. The things we struggle with in this world just cloud our understanding. They cloud our vision. They cloud us from being able to see you. So Father, break through those clouds. 
May your face shine upon us. May you be gracious to us. May you turn to us your face of favor. And may you therefore grant us your peace. And all God's people said,